Chapter Seven of Laughter Limited. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. Laughter Limited by Nina Wilcox Putnam. Chapter Seven. If St. Peter was to take advantage of a time when God wasn't looking and start a thoroughly modern real estate development in heaven, it would look like Southern California. Anyways, that's how Los Angeles seemed to me as I drove through it after vainly searching around the depot for Anita and she not showing up. So I had to go without her, and pretty soon I forgot her altogether. There was a new world opening up right before my very eyes, and I was so afraid of missing a trick that my head turned around like a put-and-take top. Doubtless with all the blue laws going to affect the way they are, the housing conditions in heaven will need to be hastily increased, so maybe they wouldn't stop St. Peter on such a job as I have described. But Los Angeles had evidently been stopped in places, for there were great gaps of empty lots scattered all through every district. But it seems nothing stops that town for very long, and it just naturally burst out again a few blocks farther on. There was no end to the place, apparently, and we rolled on and on over eleven miles of boulevard, the driver steering with the little finger of his left hand, his foot all the ways down on the gas, and every other car on the road doing the same, but nobody hitting each other very often. I could see at once why they made the streets so wide. It was on account of the reckless drivers and the size of the machines, for it's a fact that practically all cars in Southern California are outsized just like the fruit and flowers. Well, after madly dashing past thousands of Italian villas, Greek bungalows and apartment houses disguised as colonial mansions, or mission-style cottages grouped around courtyards, literally overflowing with flowers, and labeled El This or Del That, some Spanish stuff I guess it was, the driver turned around and yelled along the wind, This is Hollywood we are coming into now. I was glad he mentioned it because otherwise I couldn't have told where Los Angeles ended and the great movie center begun. There was the same gay, big-windowed shops, with apartments over them and flower boxes blooming everywheres under bright awnings, the same rows of palmetto trees, the same phonograph shops and gardens of petunias, fuchsia, roses, bougainvillea, and every flower in the world, I guess. There was the same extra-special brand of sunshine and the same general ice-cream, strawberry, and vanilla mixed effect, but not the same people. All at once the streets held a higher percent of well-dressed folks. White flannels burst into view in great numbers. Four times I thought I saw Wallace Reed standing on a corner, and six times a head of blonde curls turned around, and it wasn't Mary Pickford. But I got a considerable kick out of the thought that it might have been either or both, or would be next time. And then before I had time to run into Charlie Chaplin or Tom Mix, we drew up in front of a summer hotel of a permanent winter type, with a yard full of flowers and big cars and a porch full of hams. A dozen pair of white flannels crossed themselves the other way as I crossed the veranda headed for the hotel entrance, and as many rocking chairs come to salute while assorted ladies gave me the double O. All at once I felt with a uncomfortable sharpness that while a self-made girl was all right, self-made clothes are not so good. However, remembering that my face, hair, and ambition were the real thing anyways, I took courage to march into the real genuine solid light oak office and inquire about board. A cheery, not to say sportsman-like bird behind the desk allowed me to finish my sentence before he sprung the bad news. Forty-five to eighty-five dollars a week, he says, his head on one side, his manner all sympathy, like a doctor that knew you couldn't last long. American plan only. That's all your meals, room and bath. I'll take the cheapest edition for the present, I says, and he beckoned for a Jap boy, which I had thought at first was a Japanese soldier, and was sort of afraid of him, but not enough afraid as it turned out, because he was what was worse, a bellhop. In the pictures, says the clerk, just sign here, please. 
and he slipped me a pen, all politely dipped, and the register. I took it, and then I had to hesitate, because I realized I hadn't taken time coming out to think up a good picture name, and now my mind went perfectly blank on the subject, and all I could think of was Alan Nazimova, but I couldn't very well put that down, so I had in desperation to write my own. But I put New York after it instead of Stony Brook. That seemed safe, as New York is big enough so that nobody from there will be likely to tell on me. I gave the clerical cutie back his pen and threw in a smile for luck. Pictures, I says? Why, yes. I expect to go to the Silvermount Super Production Company. That's so, he remarked with professional interest. We get practically all the famous people here sooner or later. Boy, show Miss McFadden up. His heir had shown me up already, but I could hardly expect him to fall dead at the honor of entertaining an almost actress. So with my feelings perfectly healthy and intact, I followed the Jap private up two flights of red-covered stairs, along a light corridor to a door which he opened and let me into a big airy room with a little balcony outside and a palmetto tree so close I could actually touch it. And this balcony was my private one, and even more exciting to me than my first private bath. The room itself I didn't think much of, for it was stripped right down to bare necessities. There wasn't a thing in it, from the curly maple bureau to the iron bed, that could possibly have been spared and let the hotel management get away with the rent. Even the window curtains was the least possible, and not a picture was on the walls. It gave the room an awful bleak look, with no cheer at all, and at first I thought how mean of the management, for isn't an actor's life dreary enough without this? I hadn't yet realized that in the Laurelwood Hotel it is absolutely necessary for the owner to make the rooms as near as possible actor-proof. Otherwise there would be no furniture left at the end of a season, and it's cheaper to let them bring in their own to break up when the impulse overcomes them. Well, I gave Japan two bits, and seeing my case was hopeless, he let me go with that, and when he had, I shut the door after him, took off my hat, and stepped out into the sunshine on my little porch, and let it beat on my bare head, the sun I mean, and stood with my elbows on the railing, looking down at the friendly, smiling city. What a place! Everybody so snappy-looking. Far more so on an average than New York, for a fact. And everybody gay and in no hurry, yet just hurry enough to seem pleasantly occupied. Jazz? The very air had jazz in it. Even the trolley-car drivers jazzed their gongs as they slid by on Hollywood Boulevard, and the autos honked to syncopation. Three phonographs was pouring the same jazz number out upon the blue air from different rooms nearby, but each with a different start, and the one nearest to me was half a chorus ahead of the other two. I may remark in passing that from that day to this I don't believe I have been out of earshot of some new record at any hour of the day or night, and I have never seen the coat of arms of the city of Hollywood, but I am willing to bet it has got a phonograph rampant upon it. Well, anyways, I stood there like a jazzbo Juliet upon my sleeping porch, enchanted by everything I saw and heard, and wondering could it actually be me, and quite seeing now what Stricky had meant when he says there is no argument about which shall it be, California or Connecticut. A person couldn't help but make good out here. Why, just to be in such a place was inspiring. I felt like I belonged all right. As if I had been waiting to get out here ever since I had been born, and didn't know it until now. I felt full of pep and like tearing things wide open generally, sweet daddy, some fairyland. The first number on the program was, of course, to get action from Stricky. So after I had torn myself away from the balcony and put on a new layer of makeup with extra heavy beading on my eyes, and using liquid face powder so as to look as professional as possible and not to be taken for an amateur any more than was absolutely necessary, I had still to make up my mind regarding the best, most casual, yet most interesting way of letting Stricky know I was here and where. 
At first I thought I would telephone him and kid him along by making him guess who it was, but then decided that would be old stuff, and besides, sort of small town, and I dreaded to be recognized for what I was. Then I thought I would drop into his office and get some action direct, but dismissed the idea almost at once because it seemed too anxious. So in the end I wrote a formal little note and said, Dear Strick, while I am here at last, and will drop into your office sometime tomorrow morning between ten and ten-thirty. I decided to just send it along and went downstairs to do so by messenger. At the desk I asked for Anita, but she wasn't there. Hadn't shown up at all. Well, I thought that was funny, but after all none of my affair unless she chose. So I just says, oh, indeed, and after seeing my letter off, went out and parked myself on the front porch, assuring myself that I had as good a right to as any there, but not really believing it, and hardly had I sat before I saw Adele. No one who has ever seen Mummer will be likely to forget her, and if only she wouldn't mug so, she could have played mother parts to perfection, and only think of the salaries they command now that mothers have come into fashion on the silver sheet. But Adele mugged. She even did it when not in front of the camera, at least when she imagined that somebody was looking at her and saying what a sweet, motherly, older woman that is over there, so aristocratic, which they frequently did. The very minute I set eyes upon her, I thought the same. Her gray hair was dressed just beautiful, smart, but not girlish, you know. She had a proud way with her head, too, and simply sweet black clothes. Not dowdy, but typical of a refined, well-brought-up mother's things, plus the inexpensive jewels, suitable for an oldish lady. She gave me a little smile, or so I imagined, but I sat off by myself instead of following it up, because I thought maybe she is Madame Estancia, the famous author of Still Weaker, who I see in the papers was out there making her new pictures, and I was afraid she would think me fresh. Well, you know how lonesome a gay place can be to one which isn't acquainted there, and all around me the folks was rubbing it in. Big cars would fly up to the door, and dolls with basket lunches would dash out of the hotel and into the cars and yell, Are you going to the beach? But not to me. And handsome actors with patent leather hair and sports clothes deluxe would bring their tennis rackets out and get some healthy exercise nursing them in a big piazza chair, and rock and talk for a while and look at me hard and go away. And still I sat like a lost sheep, beginning to feel I had been there about twenty years. Another favorite form of outdoor sports seemed to be getting weighed on the outdoor scales, which was parked on one end of the veranda, but this was a form of solitaire, for they would sneak up one at a time, slip a nickel or a penny, for both seemed to work equally good, into the slot, and step on and step off quick, as if they didn't like to be noticed. One boy even put a button in, a thin mother-of-pearl button of a gent's underwear type, and I guess he hoped I didn't see it, but wasn't sure. He looked so worried over it that I got up and went indoors, desperately hoping that the dining-room would by now be open, and mercifully it was. And even more mercifully, I got put at the same table with Adele. Well, from the beginning of our talk over the American plan, I could never have dreamed how important our knowing each other was to be, which is generally the way big things start. In the pictures, says Adele, after asking me for butter as an opening, I hope to be, says I. And what was the name, dear, says she. I told her, and Adele threw her rings into the air. My dear, she says horrified, McFadden will never do. You will have to think up something much better. Not that I blame you, because God does not give everybody a stage name at birth. My own is Delane, Mrs. Adele Delane, and it's genuine. I says how nice and so forth, and then Adele fired another shot. Did you bring your mother with you, dear, she says? No, I says, I have no mother. I'm so sorry, honey, says she, real gently. 
a girl's best friend is her mother especially in pictures as i used often to say to dear ruby romer when i was her mother but aren't you that any more i says did she die no ruby married a millionaire and retired says adele complacently it was largely due to me too that shows the value of a mother and she naturally didn't need me any longer a mother may be useful dear but what is thought of mothers-in-law is well known oh says i dazed and not yet getting it yes indeed says adele i know when to stop but a girl does need looking after when i was helen merle's mother she always used to say that she never would have succeeded like she did only for me the great helen merle i gasped she your daughter too yes indeed until she married that banker from pittsburgh says adele plucking at her salad with all due modest pride i was helen's mother and before that i was lila lavelle's dumbbell that i was i just begun to get it then oh i says you mean you only pretended to be their mother well a girl in this business really has to have one you see she says and i certainly have done as well by all six of mine as if they had been my own lila married pretty good too only she fell in love and while he's a handsome actor he's a bad one he give her several expensive rings but she'd never have got that plain gold one only for him being mortally afraid of me but now i says who is your daughter at present oh i'm on a vacation says adele i just naturally got to have a rest from domesticity once in a while and i still got some money left from ruby's wedding present are you a widow i went on for the old lady begun to interest me deeply and evidently personal questions was in order a widow exclaimed adele why bless your heart honey i've never been married missus is only my professional name as you might say well it's a funny business i says real interested an important one says she quickly when a star gets to a certain prominence she needs a background and a lot of personal sentimental publicity can be got out of home and mother stuff you know that why even the male beauties ain't above it when the publicity department runs a little short but i never was one that contented myself with being a mere figurehead i always looked after contracts and gave advice and the advice of one who's been in the theatrical world all their life is neither to be pitied or scorned well i could believe that and i had a feeling right off the bat that she was the real thing even if she did have the most completely cocoa way of earning a living i had ever heard of there was something about adele made you believe that her mothering was done partially for the sheer love of it as though she was kind of trying to make up to herself for having been cheated out of kids of her own by cruel fate or something and that she was really proud of those six girls and fond of them too later on she showed me their pictures on her dresser all with to darling mummer written over their own signatures and she was as wistful about them as any genuine one could have been but in the meanwhile we got real friendly and confidential over our choice of and she told me who was who in the american plan beginning with the beautiful madame estancia in a far corner surrounded by young admiring men and ending with some of the old standbys of the place but never mentioning who was the very classiest looking male in the dining room which was the young man who had paid for his weight with the button but who sat there eating in such handsome clothes face hair and general manner that you would not have believed it and left one only to the well-known conclusion of how stingy the rich and famous can be he certainly was handsome and formal and looking over to our table a great deal see that little couple over by the window says adele chattily them are the gosmers lulu and paul that make the cereals you know they live here in the hotel sweet girl and has a great future next to them is that man draws the animated cartoons i can't think of his name and beyond him the man with the monocle that's lord rexford the famous english writer yeah he's out here with silvermount writing continuity i think 
Well, of course, Lord Rexford was a world-famous novelist, so at first I thought Adele must be kidding. But not at all, it really was him. I had yet to learn that celebrities in Hollywood is as common as flies in August, and if a native was to meet the Prince of Wales on the street, they would merely say, Hello, how's tricks, Walesy? Working in the pictures? And then before he could answer, they would go on to tell him about the big offer they had just got from Muro, but for only 1500 a week, so they couldn't afford to take it. Well, anyways, I swallowed Lord Rexford after the second gulp, and then had another flock of the famous called to my attention. See that tall man going out the doorway, says Adele? That's John Austin Nichols, the great director. Not the one that directs Trixie Truman, I says. Yes, dear, that's him, says Adele. He has a great future. He's with Silvermount, and maybe you will meet him. Trixie is married to Taylor Truman, you know. He's a wonderful actor, but they say he's a hop fiend. But I say one never knows, for you can hear anything in Hollywood. You should have seen Taylor playing the traps in the orchestra out to Sunset Inn last night. You must go there next Wednesday. Wednesday is movie night out there, and you must come to the dance here tonight. Put on a pretty dress, dear, and I will introduce you to a lot of prominent people. No, no pie, thanks. I lost two pounds last week, thank goodness. Did you lose any, dear? I don't know, I says, sort of breathless. What? shrieked Adele. Don't you diet? Well, you must, dear. Watch your weight every moment, and don't put on a ounce if you can help. When I was Lila's mother, I always used to tell her, Now, Lila, just remember that slimness is the first requirement for blue sash parts. But I don't need to lose, I says. Well, you ought to diet just the same, to make sure, says Adele. There goes Trixie Truman now. She's looking for Nichols, I guess. She runs after him like water off a duck's back. They say she's mad about him, but I say there's more evil to them that thinks that. Well, I hardly heard the last of what Adele said because of staring at Trixie Truman, who was outside at the desk talking to the clerk. For all the hard-to-realize people, she was the hardest. To begin with, she didn't have on a scrap of makeup, not a dash of it even. Her clothes might have belonged to any schoolgirl. Good, but in no ways loud or even very snappy. Why, if I had seen her on the street, I would not only have not recognized her, but would have actually taken her for a lady. Quiet, refined, inconspicuous. That was her all over in an English accent I could get even from where I was. She don't look a bit professional, I says. No, but she has class, and they have just built a handsome home out in Beverly Hills, says Adele. She's a wild woman, though, at least they say so, but I always say, the less said, the less you have to take back. We got up from the table after that and went out into the lobby where the after-luncheon crowd was hanging around. Miss Truman had already gone away, much to my disappointment, and so had her director but my aristocratic button man was still hanging around, and I was just about to ask Adele who was that undoubtedly great actor, when another boy who had been staring at me for the last half hour came up to us with a great air of welcome. How are you, Mrs. Delane, he says. How's tricks? Oh, Mr. Rolfe, says Adele. They are just fine, thanks. Meet Miss McFadden, Slim. Mr. Rolfe is publicity director with Muro, she added for my benefit, as I murmured the conventional pleased to meet her. Doing anything this afternoon, Mr. Rolfe inquired. Won't you both come for a little ride? I got the old boat outside. Miss McFadden has just arrived out here, and she'd love to go, I'm sure, replied Adele for me, her mother mind working automatically. I believe I'll just go up to my room and have a quiet afternoon with my newspaper. I'm real interested in this Beverly murder, aren't you? And there's a lovely new case of a girl being missing, and that big hold-up on the valley road where three was killed. So I think I'll just spend a restful hour reading. But you go along with Slim, Bonnie, dear. He lives right here in the house, and he's a real nice boy. Well, not being accustomed to mothers and their methods, I was more or less knocked cold by this, but submitted to be led away by Mr. Rolfe to where his old boat, 
a miserable twin six colby droit of that year's vintage with only a hundred and forty two inch wheelbase and solid nickel disc wheels on it was moored to the front porch sweet daddy the world was certainly opening up for me End of chapter 7